power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. From days of long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The Legend of Sovereign Tech, podcast of the universe. A mighty tech show, loved by anarchists, feared by authoritarians. As Sovereign Tech's legend grew, peace settled across the galaxy. On planet Earth, a union of egoists was formed. Together with the open source, retro gaming, and liberty-loving communities, they maintain peace throughout the universe. Until a new horrible menace threatened the galaxy. Sovereign Tech was needed once more. This is the podcast of super host Dr. Brian Sovereign. Specially trained and sent out into the galaxy to bring back Sovereign Tech, podcast of the universe. Woo, ladies, gentlemen, and Zs, you know you are here for all the excitement that only woo, the Golden Stallion, the Man of Tomorrow, Savzu, the Rated R Radio Star, can bring to you, baby, the best podcaster in the world as some have said and i don't mind that being said why because well for the next uh, almost two hours maybe even a little over two hours you're gonna find out but before we get into all of that well of course we had the foreplay to get into but this is actually you know it's not that special of an occasion because just today linux kernel version 6.0 uh, came out. Actually, it would, would have come out on Sunday, and this is coming out on a Monday. But anyway, it's officially released in stable. Um, you know, Linus came right out and said, hey, like, don't pay so much attention to the version number. <laughs> he basically just ran out of fingers and toes uh, to count. Uh, but he did say that version 6.1 is going to have some, I think his words were, fairly core uh, updates. Uh, coming to it, which we don't exactly know what those are yet, but I'm certainly going to be keeping an eye on that. I bring this up partly because something that I've noticed across many channels that I happen to frequent, actually, I don't frequent that many, but the ones that I do, something I have noticed is the amount of people that have decided to, you know, finally give up uh, on Windows. And I am pleased as punch that this has happened. Um, I mean, I can remember, and now this is at a time when I was on a lot more channels, a lot of different social media networks. Hell, I was even on Facebook, if you'd believe it. I know I can't either, but I was there. I saw it. It happened. There are a lot of people that, you know, very much poo-pooed using Linux and granted 10, you know, we're talking 10 years ago when this show first started. Um, and at the time, you know, like, I, I mean, I like to think Linux was already there. I don't feel like there have been that many dramatic changes as far as like overall operations, say with like a gnome shell or whatever, you know, I, like, I, I, I don't think it's, it's that different. Uh, but I guess over time it has become simpler in ways, maybe in ways that I just don't really think about. Uh, maybe I'm just spending too much time in the terminal. I don't know, but 
I'm again, I'm really pleased about this and really what it comes down to, in my opinion, because this is also the reflection of what I see whenever somebody talks about how, oh, I'm so glad I'm not on windows anymore. It really comes down to, I mean, this is entirely Microsoft's fault. I don't think it was the security arguments that I've made over the years. And even those can be, uh, somewhat inaccurate. I mean, you know, the security arguments are true, but they can be, um, what, what's the term I'm looking for? You know, if Linux were a hotter target, here's the thing with operating systems in general, whatever is the hottest target is going to get the most attacks, right? That's just nature of the beast. And Linux up until maybe now, maybe it's not exactly there yet, even though it is the most used operating system in the world, whether you're talking about within IOT devices, um, or, you know, even Android devices, if you want to count that, uh, you know, whatever it's, it's just the most prevalent out there. Um, yeah, like Linux is, you know, while it is the most popular, like maybe it's just not at that level yet, but, by, and we're certainly going to talk about this as we get into some of the stories, uh, well beyond the foreplay more into like, st- uh, listener's choice, maybe in story of the week. We'll see anyway. Um, you know, whatever operating system is the hottest thing going, the most popular is going to get the most attacks. So to some degree, Linux feels more secure because it's not as attacked. Now, does it have advantages that give it the opportunity to be more secure by nature than say windows or something else along those lines? Yes. It's partly because it's open source that doesn't guarantee it. It just gives it a greater opportunity, you know, to be so. But anyway, those security arguments, I don't think that's what did this. There are so many, I don't even think the open source, you know, ethos, you know, like arguing for that. I don't know that that's even what's done it, you know, like arguing that, well, this is software you actually fucking own instead of just, you know, licensing to, uh, to, to borrow, um, like, you know, with windows, I don't think it was that. I think all it took is for Microsoft to just fuck up over and over and over again and make their UI worse and worse and worse and worse, make, you know, functionality changes that just drive away your power users. Um, I, 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 you know, it, they screwed the pooch. It was theirs to lose and they lost and they're, they're losing more every day. I, I'm in awe at how many, you know, how many people I'm seeing now that are finally like, yeah, I, I said, fuck you to windows, you know, two years ago. And it's, it's Linux all the way, unless I have to use like windows at work or something like that. And, and I think that's fantastic. So anyway, for you Linux users, not a major update here with, uh, with kernel 6.0, uh, but apparently with kernel 6.1, and again, we'll be keeping an eye on that here on sovereign tech. Uh, there are going to be some pretty core changes and we'll, or updates anyway, and we'll see what happens with that. But let us get into with that good news aside, because you know, it's the only good news we're going to talk about here. No. <laughs> We might have some other good news, <laughs> but let's keep rolling. Uh, with all that aside, let's get into the foreplay and things are taking place that I think are, uh, maybe not earth shattering, but are a pretty dramatic change that I am not seeing or hearing a whole lot of other, you know, tech outlets, um, really like, like talking about, or if they are talking about it, I don't think they're recognizing just how big of a deal this is. So now I, your intrepid host, 
also happen to be an author. Um, I don't know. I don't how, how many books do you have to actually like sell to be considered like a genuine author? I, I don't know. Does it take a thousand? What, what, what's, what, what's the number on that? Do I have any writers out there? Do, do, do you have like an opinion on this matter? Um, well, anyway, I'll say, I'll go ahead and say that I'm an author. If it's a thousand books, all right. You know, I, I, I've certainly cleared that with, with what I've put out there, uh, more to come. But anyway, I of course, uh, have written the security manual, privacy and security manual for, uh, Android, of course called dark Android. And, uh, this was some years ago, needs a revision. Trust me, it's coming. Um, one of the things I recommend in that book and that I've recommended on Sovereign Tech for many, many, many years is to use Firefox on an Android smartphone. Okay. Now, not because it's Mozilla or because it's open source Firefox or anything like that. Um, even though those are, you know, the, the open source part is a fine reason to do it. It's a great reason uh, to use it. So, in fact, I don't even really recommend to use Firefox anymore. I recommend using Fennec, uh, which is specifically a mobile, stripped-down mobile version of Firefox. They got rid of the crap. And uh, and you can only get it in the F-Droid store. But anyway, so the, the reason that I recommended using Firefox or Fennec on Android is Firefox on Android, only on Android, has its own, uh, uh, like certificate store. Okay. Like root certificate store. So essentially, so th the reason that this is a security tip is something. And this was at the time, like this is around what Android eight, when Android 8.0 was the thing was that Oreo and going into Android nine, you had the problem with stage fright. There were the Verizon super cookies. There were a litany of either what are technically exploits or what should be called exploits like the Verizon super cookie, um, that would affect your Android device system wide because most of the apps that you use and this, and the device itself runs off of Android's own root certificates. Okay. However, Firefox, and this is true both on Android devices and basically anywhere you install Android other than iOS Firefox has its own uh, root certificate store that it pulls from. So when like stage fright or other things were affecting your entire Android device, Firefox remained unscathed and it would actually keep certain cookies that were, you know, say downloaded from Chrome on an Android device. If you access those same websites that delivered those cookies with Firefox, it would actually block those cookies from activating. So like the Verizon super cookie didn't work with Firefox. And this is all, this is still true. Like, like this, this hasn't exactly changed. So what has changed? What has changed is now Google Chrome as a version 105 is going to start having its own root certificate store on every operating system that it finds itself on. Now that's not going to be true for Android. So you're not going to have the advantage. Like there's no advantage to using Google Chrome in this sense on an Android device because Chrome or the Chrome web browser is effectively like it's so deeply integrated and tied in with Android. It can't use a separate, uh, certificate store. Like it's just not possible. So, but on windows and Mac OS, and I'm curious, 
I don't know that I saw anything about Linux with this, but I imagine that would be coming. Um, it will be using its own root certificate store. And I, I think it's hilarious. You know, now Google's response, all right, why are they doing this? Their claim is security. So, you know, my argument for why you should use Firefox on Android is completely legitimized now by Android's own developers, that being Google or, you know, they're, 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 uh, <laughs> They're stewards. And anyway, you know, Google makes the claim this is going to be more secure and they're making the same claim of why Mozilla does it with Firefox, where it allows them across platforms, cross operating systems to create a unified, you know, a consistent experience with Firefox, the way that it renders web pages, the way that it handles, you know, data information, all of it. Okay. The way that it handles your entire web experience is consistent across devices minus iOS, because on iOS, there is no such thing as a unique browser on iOS, right? All everything's just a wrapper and that's W R A P P R. Okay. It's not Snoop Dogg. Every, every browser on iOS is just a wrapper for Safari. Not that I necessarily think that's a problem because Safari's a great fucking browser. We're actually probably going to talk about that a little bit. And we're going to talk about browsers in general a little bit later in the show as well. i uh, got a very interesting new development going on with Edge that, that we, yes, you believe me, you want to hear about it. Anyway, so Google's making the same claim that this is going to allow for a consistent experience um, across devices. Here's the problem, Okay. Because this is not, we could say, well, Brian, who the hell cares? You know what? So like Chrome's going to suck a little less or something like what, what, what's the big whoop? Well, here's the big whoop. So when Mozilla does this, it's a fine and dandy thing. Why? Because the code can be reviewed because this root certificate store is all open source and you can check it out and not only check it out, you and anyone as in, you know, this gets into the conversation around the open web, right? Like basically any developer gets to take advantage of what Firefox can do because they can look at that certificate store. Here's the problem. Google, despite claims to the contrary, is not so open. Uh, as we've said many times over the years, and this number may even have grown, uh, hasn't grown larger, uh, but at least 5% of Chrome's code is not of Google Chrome's code is not open source. Now, Chromium, which is the open source project that eventually becomes Chrome, that's completely open source. That doesn't mean things that are nasty don't get put into the code anyway, but regardless, uh, that's completely open source. So, but Google Chrome itself is not. And this root certificate store, as far as I can tell in what I've researched, is not going to be openly available to developers. So who has control over this? Google. So effectively, Google is just going to have that much more control over your internet experience. And control over an internet experience ends up usually doing two, can end up doing two things, okay? I mean, their argument for security, sure. There's an argument for that. I mean, and Google Chrome is an incredibly secure browser. I didn't say private. I said it was secure. Um, but what's going to happen here, there's a couple options of what can happen here. One is this allows Google to have its own services, like say YouTube, uh, among others that will get favored features and favored treatment, which was already happening in Google Chrome. Now that's just going to happen as we say on steroids, 
that will occur. And the real problem when you, when a company gains more control over something like the internet is they gain the capability, not just to add features, but to make things not appear that maybe you'd like to have appear. And that's the, for me, the greatest danger. I mean, a, a specific web browser gaining specific features. Honestly, that's nothing new. Um, does, does that suck? Yeah, sure. In, in its own way. But I mean, like when it's something I, and really this has been going on forever. And actually we're going to talk about that more. Like I said, when we get into, um, I think story of the week, when we get into that, we're going to be talking about web browsers because it is, it is world browser or world web browser war three out there, folks. Um, but this has been going on. I, I, for example, like Apple events, you know, it used to be years ago that Apple events, you could only theoretically only watch them on two web browsers, Safari and whatever Microsoft's browser was at the time, whether it was internet Explorer or edge. And those are the only places you were allowed to watch, uh, you know, to, to watch an Apple event. Now that's not true anymore, but for a long time it was, uh, could you get around it? Yeah, there was, there were ways to get around it, but it was a bit of trickery. Now, why would Apple do that? Why would Apple like, oh yeah, you can watch it on, on Safari and you can watch it on a, you know, a Microsoft browser. Why is that? Well, I mean, part of that comes down to that, you know, a lot of iPhone users are frankly windows users. Um, in fact, the iPhone, the iPad, so much of what Apple did wouldn't exist, didn't exist or at least, you know, weren't on the map, shall we say, until they opened it up to Windows PCs, right? Or maybe Apple is still kind of glad that, you know, in the mid-90s that uh, Bill Gates came in with a few million dollars before the company completely went bankrupt and tanked and would no longer have existed. You know, I love it, man. <laughs> Apple users always forgetting that shit. <laughs> With, you know, I mean, you remember that shot? Where was that? Was that WWDC Boston? Remember that, 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 that classic 1984 shot of Bill Gates looking down on the big screen at, at, at WWDC, looking down on Steve Jobs, you know, and Steve Jobs newly come back to Apple and saying, it's like, oh, so great to work with you, Bill. Remember that? Remember that? Remember how, how Apple was going to no longer be a business? In fact, they couldn't even find a buyer. It was that you know, considered like that radioactive at the time, nobody wanted to touch Apple. Remember that Pepperidge farms remembers. Oh wait, is that heritage farms? No. Is it the internet remembers? <laughs> I remember, I don't know, whatever. I'm too old. That's it. I, I'm, I've been around too long. <laughs> I mean, I just, I love it. I love when Apple people make fun of, make fun of Microsoft. It's like, Oh, Sure. Bite the hand that fucking fed you. <laughs> Not once, but twice. Really? Again? Yeah, Apple. Yeah, they funded your asses out of bankruptcy, and then again, like I said, there would be no iPod revolution. There'd be no iTunes revolution. There'd be none of that great, you know, uh, you know amazing thing that that quote unquote led to the iPhone or whatever. And even the iPhone, like none of that would have happened if it didn't open up to windows PCs. Why? Because most people fucking use windows PCs. Just putting that out there. I, I don't, you know, you don't have to congratulate like Microsoft for anything or whatever. Like, <laughs> 
I mean, look, all these companies are scum, as I always say, but I, I it just, it, it gives me the, you know, the a little bit of the, the, the chuckles. Where was I? <laughs> what a tirade. Uh, anyway, I, I guess, <laughs> however I got on that conversation, let's bring it back to the fact that, oh, right. Yeah. We were talking about how browsers, you know, like why did, uh, why did Apple only allow, uh, you know, Apple events to be seen on Microsoft browsers and Safari and whatever. And so this idea, so what I was getting at earlier was that, you know, the idea that, okay, there's features that specific browsers only get, again, that's nothing new. What really bothers me is that these certificates that like Google is going to have so much more control. I mean, they already had plenty of it just by dominating with the browser that they have uh, and really developers favoring using the, the you know predominant browser, which I get that from a business perspective. But this idea of them having their own certificate root store, like this isn't an, an it, with Firefox, it's an improvement for the for the end user. For Chrome, it's the only people it's improving things for. The only people it's making life better for is Google itself. And if you think Google is a heinous company, then this should bother the fuck out of you. Are they a heinous company? Bet your goddamn ass. But the part I love about it, what do, what, what do I enjoy about this? Is that eh, what I wrote in 2017 and espoused for many years before that was absolutely true. The web browser, of course, it should be open source, but the web browser should have an independent root certificate store, independent of the operating system. I was completely right. Fire Mozilla was completely right. The, the Firefox developers were right. And now Google has essentially admitted it. Anyway, let's get on to another story here. We got a little more in the foreplay to get into. Well, I guess while we're talking about Android, let's uh, let's talk about it. And that is speaking of or actually while we're talking about Chrome more specifically, um, there have been some interesting teardowns of Chrome, particularly for Android where there's the discovery of language about touchless Chrome. And this is for Chrome for Android. So what the hell is that? And why does it matter? Well, here's why it may matter. The reason this may matter is Chrome. Again, we're not talking about Chrome OS. We're not even talking about Chrome on windows or Mac or Linux or whatever. Chrome on Android, uh, as I said, is like a central part uh, like you can't, you know, unless you're doing, dealing with AOSP or lineage OS or something like that, almost every installed version of Android, you cannot, you literally cannot separate. Like there's no such thing as uninstalling Chrome from Android that, that just, that's not going to happen. Okay. Like they, they are, they're completely entwined. So Android devices in general, over the past few years, anyway, before that, I guess there, you know, we used to have nice things like smartphones with full hardware QWERTY keyboards. We don't anymore. I wish we did, but we don't. Um, anyway, so Chrome, uh, has this, this mention of touchless. And again, it's on generally on devices. Android devices are touchscreen devices. That is the interface. So what is this? touchless Chrome business. Now, nobody really knows for sure, but the speculation goes that Google is looking to effectively get into the feature phone business or what we call dumb phones. 
Is Google already in that business? Yes. Why? Because you have Kai OS, which actually kind of used to be related to Firefox. Interestingly, it's amazing how much they're taking from Firefox's MO. But anyway, um, Kai OS is like a smart, dumb OS. It's like, it's a smart, it's kind of a smarter operating system for dumb phones. Now, KaiOS phones will have things like Google Assistant, Google Maps, WhatsApp, maybe Facebook. They'll have, it'll have some apps, you know, installed, pre-installed. Uh, usually there isn't an app store, even though that, that can kind of change. But again, it's very tailored because these are not touchscreen devices. These are devices that use, you know, T9 keyboards, right? Where it's, you know, the nine keys and then each one represents a letter or whatever. It's an absolute pain in the ass, you know, to use those. Um, one of the things that keeps me from really going full time with a feature phone admittedly is the fact that like texting is a great and wonderful thing. It's better than phone calls and texting with a T nine keyboard or, you know, with a T nine button setup is just, I mean, I'd rather start ramming pencils into my orifices. Uh, so no, <laughs> not right now. If I had a full QWERTY keyboard on it, which they used to have feature phones that did that. I still have my mind. Sam, my Samsung three, not S three. My Samsung three actually has that. You could flip it up. Fuck. It's so goddamn nice. The world we've left behind. Anyway, looks like Google might not be leaving it behind. Uh, this push with Chrome is an intriguing one to, you know, for all of this mention of touchless. And it's pretty clear that it's not Android TV they're talking about, and it's not some tablet they're talking about. So speculation lends it to that. They are going to get into the feature phone market. Now, where is the problem within this? Well, I think that should be fairly obvious. Um, you know, Google is so hot on going after the next billion, you know, they, they're always trying to find the next billion who, and, you know, aside from injecting chips into unborn babies, you know, I'm sure they'll get to that at some point, but Aside from doing that, there's a billion people out there who might not even be able to afford a $90 Nokia phone. And I say that with respect, like I, I'm not insulting anyone for not having money, please like do not confuse what I'm saying there. And I'm dead serious. Okay. But there are people who cannot even afford a smartphone, even the cheapest of smartphones. Android go has gone nowhere. So my speculation is, and, you know, chalk this up to one of Dr. Sovereign's classic predictions that often come true. I wish they wouldn't, but there's going to be Android quote unquote feature phones in the very near future. And these are going to be phones that will probably sell for 20 to $50. The problem, like I was getting at, that should be obvious is that means there's that many, you know, if that's for the next billion, the people who can't afford even a smartphone, but you got to get them fucking connected. That means there's another billion tracking devices moving around, not just tracking devices, but also listening devices, blocks of sensors moving around at all times. And that's terrifying. I mean, going to, you know, like, is it a great move to have a burner phone or to, you know, get away from smartphones in general and use feature phones, you know, use dumb phones. It's a wonderful thing to do. Not with KaiOS, not with something attached to Google assistant, fuck that shit. And certainly not with whatever this touchless means in Chrome's code. No, that's not a win. You know, the, the, the purpose of getting a feature phone is to get away from the tech giants. You're not going to get away from the telcos generally, unfortunately, unless you pull some kind of tricks and go for anonymity. But 
still, you know, that's the idea. And if Google is just going to try and take over that market, um, yeah, we're going to be entering a world where, you know what, you just, you just don't use phones, you know, or again, you know, yes, you can get a smartphone where you put on, you know, Calyx OS or graphene or something like that. And, and you rock that boat, but even that can be an expensive proposition because like graphene OS only gets developed for pixel phones, pixel phones in the grand scheme are less expensive than Samsung's crap, but they're also not cheap. So the concept of cheap communications that can kind of keep you away from, uh, uh, you know, from, from the tech giants could be going away with this. So it's important to bring up anyway, let's move on to say anyway, when (laughs) a billion more sensor blocks all over the place, tracking everybody. And, and I just say, anyway, what, what the hell is wrong with me? That's what happens when you've been a podcaster for this long and you've been inundated with this news for so long, not that I don't take it seriously. In fact, I'm bringing up stories that I think most people just like let it pass by because they're not seeing what this actually means, but that's why sovereign tech is here. So, uh, well, we talked about iOS a little bit. I guess we're still kind of talking about smartphones. I found this to be particularly interesting, even though I don't exactly know what to make it. And I've heard theories around it. Um, But I was stunned to, you know, speaking of Android devices, uh, something that only Android devices are going to have now going forward is access to SwiftKey. Now, SwiftKey, I would argue from a usability stand, from a a feature and usability standpoint, is the single best smartphone keyboard out there. Whether you're on iOS, even though kind of the nice features for iOS aren't really there. Uh, For example, like you can, you can actually have arrow keys on Android with SwiftKey. It's amazing. Changes the way you interact with your phone. Really, really does. Those fucking arrow keys. Up, down, left, right, the whole thing. It's it's amazing. Um, but that that's going to be Android only. Now, actually, those arrow keys, like I said, even on SwiftKey on iOS, they they weren't there. Uh, they, they didn't allow for it. But Microsoft has said, they came out and said, yeah, uh, we're pulling SwiftKey from iOS. I don't even think you're going to be able to run old versions. I mean, I don't know how that's going to work out. Um, and it's going to be an Android only feature. I, I was, I was kind of shocked. Like why? I mean, so, so part of the theories are that Microsoft must've wanted to, and, you know, enable some feature on SwiftKey for iOS and Apple said, no. And so they said, fuck it, we're pulling it. But like, why not stay there and at least collect all that data that gets typed in, you know, or whatever metadata you can collect from SwiftKey. I don't get it unless, and I haven't heard anyone else say this, but I'm bringing this up. I wonder if Apple is going to somehow pull the plug on data and metadata collection from third-party keyboards, you got to remember that Apple didn't even allow other keyboards until just a few years ago on iOS. Like you had only one choice. You could only use Apple's keyboard. Now in the grand scheme of things, like, should you stick with the manufacturer's keyboard? Kind of. I mean, for example, with Android, Google's already collecting all of that data about you. If you're using Google's Android. Um, so you know, you may not want to install Microsoft's keyboard because then you're giving the date, that same data to both Google 
and Microsoft. Even though Google may say, oh, well, we may, you know, we won't be able to give you recommendations or whatever. I mean, Google's still collecting all that shit. Are you kidding me? They're running the entire fucking operating system. Anyway, so that's, I, I wonder if Microsoft knows that that's coming and that's why they just said, fuck it, we're pulling it because if we can't collect the data, then it's not worth it. That That's, it's gotta be something to that effect, but I have not read or heard anything from Microsoft as to why, um, they are doing this, but you know, does this really affect the end user? I mean, I, I don't think so just because there were so many features that Swift key has on Android that they didn't have an iOS anyway. I, I don't get it. Oh man. And look, look, if it feels like I'm, I'm hitting on Apple hard here again, I'm going to tear Google apart later on, especially wait until we talk about video games later, baby. Oh man. The Google graveyard just got a lot bigger, uh, this week. So anyway, yeah, I, I don't, I'm just kind of surprised by this and I'm trying to figure it out, you know, and Yes, like Apple could make a really great privacy argument from this, or maybe it's because of the um, there's the security feature within iOS 16, specifically 16, that blocks um, a lot of different traffic, a lot of different network traffic that Apple even warned when you turn it on that it could affect, um, like it could affect you know websites that you go to, even though it's not supposed to, and they're going to keep making it better. Um, I wonder if that is somehow fucking with, we're going to, this is something I'm bringing this up mainly because I want to keep an eye on this and see what's happening. And I wonder if my theory is going to end up coming true, but I want to keep an eye on this and see what's happening and end up seeing if other, uh, third party keyboard companies just end up dropping completely from iOS basically because they can't, I mean, the whole reason other companies make keyboards is to collect all of that data. They don't, what, you think Grammarly gives a shit about how well you type? No, they just want what you type. They want you to train their AI or they want to collect that data and sell it off because you typed out Tide or something. I don't know. Like that's, that's why they do this. You know, why did Microsoft buy a keyboard that, well, actually there's other reasons Microsoft bought SwiftKey years ago. I mean, I've been using SwiftKey long before, you know, Microsoft had bought them out. I mean, I actually like paid for, used to pay for SwiftKey. Um, you know, so you could get themes and everything. I mean, I've bought themes. I bought the app, uh, it annoys the fuck out of me. that Microsoft runs it, but anyway, we'll keep an eye on this one because there, there's definitely something going on there that is a lot bigger than is really being talked about. Um, you know, I was going to talk about the Kindle scribe, but I think that that's a conversation for, for another time with, uh, with Amazon. Um, why don't we, let's go ahead. Let's take a break. And then we'll come back for the story of the week because we got to talk web browsers and it's going to be a doozy. I'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Have you had enough of the big name web hosting services that are long on promises but short on bleeding edge features, uptime and customer service? Or are you just looking for a performance boost for your business's online presence? The answer is Agorist Hosting. Agorist Hosting is the agile web host that offers full concierge service from website redesign, full e-commerce solutions, even custom apps for your Shopify store, and more. All with security, reliability, redundancy, and privacy at the forefront. Oh, and those bleeding edge features? How about hosting your data in a decentralized system like IPFS, the Interplanetary File System? 
good luck getting that from those other guys. Agoras Hosting is ready to take your web presence into the future. Head over to agoristhosting.com to get started. That's A-G-O-R-I-S-T hosting.com. Agoristhosting.com. Story of the week. Oh, yes. Let us get into our story of the week. Um, and this is one that, you know, it's so funny. You keep getting told, oh, VPNs are useless. VPNs are useless. And I mean, you get told this, obviously not from VPN companies. No. You get told this by uh, varying, you know, s- supposed security researchers on YouTube, um, you know, other uh, 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 cybersecurity specialists all over. Oh, the VPN's dead. The VPN's this, blah, 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 blah. Um, the more I hear that, the more I burp. No, really, I just burped. <laughs> I just spared all of you the, 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 the audio awesomeness of <laughs> of my belches, but, um, these mute buttons are amazing. (laughs) If only we could put those on presidents and politicians. Oh, it'd be awesome. All right. Uh, so anyway, the more I hear that VPNs are somehow useless, the more they suddenly are getting injected into different apps. I don't understand why, like, wait, I thought these were, these things didn't work anymore, but then why is Microsoft putting one into edge? Well, they are. Um, And this is kind of interesting, and I want to pay close attention to the source of this news that I'm going to read from, because the source is AdGuard VPN. So do they have a vested interest in, you know, say Microsoft not doing so well with a VPN because they want the VPN business for themselves? You betcha. As, uh, wait, who, who always said you betcha? Whatever, doesn't matter. Oh, I, yeah, right. Talk about mute buttons on politicians. <laughs> that gal. <laughs> All right, so no one's nailing Palin here. Let's let's do this. So <laughs> um, here's the here's their headline: Browsers with built-in VPNs, the new normal. Microsoft bakes a VPN into Edge and turns it on. Uh, Microsoft is reading the story here. Microsoft has followed a small group of its competitors in building a VPN service directly into its own browser. The VPN feature known as Microsoft Edge Secure Network has rolled out to a limited selection of users in the latest Edge Canary version. While Microsoft has yet to announce its launch, early testers have already got the first glimpse of what the new privacy tool looks like and how it is designed to work. Uh, Skipping ahead a little bit, make no mistake though, Edge has not come up with its proprietary or has not come up with its proprietary VPN service. Rather, the new privacy tool is the result of the tech giant's partnership with Cloudflare. So, Stallion breaking in. Let's be clear on this. You know, Cloudflare is often considered one of the darlings uh, of, you know, internet security, among other things. I mean, Cloudflare does a lot. Um, you know, they put out the app, what was it, one, one, or... Yeah, it's yeah, it's like one 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 one. Anyway, I use Quad Nine still. Uh, they're they're the best out there is as far as IP resolvers. But anyway, uh, so Cloudflare, you know, is considered a, a darling, right? Even within kind of the open source community. So this isn't exactly Microsoft doing it. So you know, when you hear Cloudflare is going to be the implementation of the VPN. 
all right, that, you know, that that's a little less bad, I think, in some people's minds. Let's keep reading. The latter provides a secure server network through which the data is routed. Microsoft began experimenting with VPN like uh, or VPN like service in May. Um, moving ahead, although the Cloudflare po powered VPN service will hide your IP address, encrypt your data and send it through a secure network, much like a regular VPN, it lacks one important feature users seek in a VPN, an ability to bypass geoblock. In the case of Edge's VPN, you won't be able to choose any server location you want since your data will automatically be routed through a Cloudflare server near to where you live. Interestingly, unlike Opera browser, where an inbuilt VPN has to be enabled manually, a VPN baked into Edge appears to be turned on by default, but only for certain use cases. In the optimized slash recommended mode, the VPN will automatically connect when you're using public Wi-Fi or browsing unsecured networks and sites lacking a valid HTTP uh, certificate. However, the VPN will not run while you're streaming or watching videos so that you can save up on traffic, which is capped at a modest one gigabyte per month. Uh, if you crave more privacy, you can toggle the all sites mode on, in which case the VPN will be running at all times. But since the traffic cap stays at one gig a month, browsing in this mode risks eating up your precious uh, traffic allowance rather quickly. In the select sites mode, you can configure the VPN to work only on the sites that you want it to work on. Alternatively, you can uh, specify sites that should always be exempted from the VPN. Um, anyway, there's a few other features. There's you know, link in the show notes where you can, you can check this out. Now what's going on here? Like does Microsoft suddenly care about security? Well, Microsoft does care about security. They don't care about privacy. Um, so is Microsoft suddenly caring about privacy here? No, that's not what this VPN is about. This is absolutely a security measure that they are baking into and something they've been doing with edge for a while. I mean, years ago, they're already getting edge to be put into a sandbox separate from the rest of the operating system. That way, something that, you know, infected the browser would not affect the rest of your computer or infect, not just affect, but infect the rest of your computer. But, you know, even if they're, they're making claims that somehow they're caring about privacy again, they're not, um, if they really cared about privacy, what Microsoft would do is, they would make this a system wide an operating system wide VPN. Like they would effectively have windows 11 access a VPN at all times, but that's not what's happening here. Um, I also think it's very interesting that they're only giving you a gig a month to use this VPN with. Um, I guess you could speculate. Well, in the future, might they, go with like a freemium model here, kind of like Mozilla does, you know, Mozilla offers a VPN. Um, a lot of web browsers offer a VPN operas is free and it does give you some control over, you know, like geolocking or getting past geolocks like they were talking about in this write-up. Um, Microsoft's clearly not interested in that kind of deal, um, which, you know, doesn't surprise me. I mean, Google already does this, right? Like if you use Google Fi, um, or other varying implementations of Google software, there is a Google VPN that it connects to Google servers. And, but that is completely system wide. That's being done right. Even though it's Google collecting all your data, that is a VPN done, right? Um, this is, a, this is admittedly kind of strange, uh, but I get what they're going for here. And certainly like one, one easy way 
to get recommended to use a browser. And yes, they want more people using a browser or using Microsoft Edge. Why? So they can collect your data. Again, this, this data is getting collected. You know, <laughs> like it's not, Edge is still there. Edge is still your portal. That's probably the whole reason it's not system-wide because they want it to be, you know, within this container, that being Microsoft Edge, where they can still collect all the data of what you're doing. Okay. So they want more people using a web browser. Well, an easy way to get more people to use your web browser is to win, honestly, win browser security contests like Pwn to Own um, or others and having a VPN built into it. Yeah, that's going to help it win some competitions, I'm sure. And, you know, allow Microsoft to at least use the language that this is more secure, not private, private, maybe from everybody else, but not from Microsoft. So it's, it's an interesting addition. We, I mean, AdGuard is completely right in that more web browsers are doing this. I mean, and it's not just like, oh, well, Mozilla and Opera and Brave and whoever, you know, are running VPNs. I mean, Apple did the same thing, right? Like they have for Safari. And I actually, I kind of, I applaud this. Um, so if you're an I, iCloud Plus subscriber, um, you get private relay for Safari where, and, and, and it pretty much, it works very much in the same way. Um, like, but that with private relay, that actually keeps Apple theoretically, theoretically keyword from seeing what you're doing, you know, and it, it's, uh, well with private relay, you can still see the IP, you can, they can still see your IP address. Apple can see it as well as your, you know, your ISP or whatever, um, or the network provider. But as far as like what the requests are, you know, like What's the DNS request that you're going for? That Apple theoretically isn't seeing. Um, private Relay is, you know, a great option. And it's one of the reasons that, like I say, Safari is a great fucking browser. Um, I do like, I mean, as far as I can tell, Microsoft's model is not really hiding anything from Microsoft themselves. So where Apple's is at least in some form or fashion doing so. Um, but I'll admit and I, and I actually, I want to talk a little bit more about browsers because something happened in the past week that, uh, well, I think got, got some people concerned. Uh, I can't help but feel like, like the ultimate game here. And I think this is true for Apple as well, even though Apple's implementation is a little bit better than what Microsoft's doing here with edge. My concern is for the everyday person who, what they're going to see essentially is, Oh, Microsoft's giving me a VPN, so I don't need to pay one, pay for one or, oh, Apple is giving me a VPN, so I don't need to pay for one or opera, whoever. Here's the thing. There is no such thing as a free VPN, not on opera, not on edge. Apple's you actually have to pay for Firefox's you pay for proton. You pay for, you get my point. If somebody's offering you a free VPN, it's because they're getting something out of it. There's no way they want to take on that server load. Even Microsoft's having clearly is concerned about taking on this kind of server load. That's why they're only, they're only giving you one gigabyte, uh, with which to use it. And you'll go through that. I mean, watching a video, you'd go through that like overnight, you know, that's why they have like optimized settings that. So when you go to YouTube, the VPN turns off. So my concern is that this is going to keep people from getting a 
genuinely useful. I mean, it may not be as useful as it once was, but VPNs still have their place. They are still useful, still helpful. They still protect your privacy in places where it matters. Okay. Are they going to stop the NSA? No. Are they going to stop your ISP from seeing what you typed out or did this or that? And maybe you get your, you know, internet service uh, terminated or something. Yes, it is going to stop that from happening. And that's a damn fine thing to stop from happening. So, uh, I worry that, you know, that Pete, the average person is going to be like, well, I don't need to pay for a VPN. I get it for free from Microsoft or I get it for free from this or that, blah, 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 blah. I mean, if you're using windows, is Microsoft already collecting, you know, if you're using windows 10, let's be particular windows 10 or windows 11 is Microsoft still collecting all your telemetry, uh, no matter what VPN you have on, uh, the operating system is probably storing quite a bit of it and getting it sent off where it needs to. But the fact remains that a VPN is still an incredibly useful thing. And it is not something that should be in the hands of Microsoft themselves, or at least the data that you would think a VPN would be useful for, or, you know, to protect should not be in the hands of Microsoft. And that's where this is going. So, yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's another way really like, so opera offers a free VPN. Why are, and Hey, I use opera. Like, why do they do that? Well, they're, they're collecting that data. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and, and who knows where they're selling it off to, but they're collecting that data. I don't use Opera's VPN. I use Mulvad. You know, I, I like, I have system wide VPNs, um, with Android. Do I use Google's VPN? Yes, I do. I've already covered the reasons that I do that. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that when it's a stock Android phone, Google's already collecting everything and anything and might as well just have it all go to Google instead of it going through MVNO networks if they're going to collect it anyway, I'm literally just limiting how many companies have it. But that's besides the point. So the point, the other point I want to get into, uh, so do I think you should use this with edge? Should you turn it off? I mean, if you really aren't running a VPN all the time and there's no reason that, or, and you should run it as often as possible. I shouldn't say all the time. There are times where one should turn off their VPN, where it needs to be turned off to even access a, a certain website. Like even banking websites will create problems depending upon what functionality the VPN, you know, how it's configured. Um, there's times to turn off a VPN. So I don't want to say you should be running it all the time, but you should be running it most of the time. And this is not a proper solution. Okay. So what's that browser news? What is this, this world war three that I mentioned earlier in browsers that's going on? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been saying this for the past three years that the browser wars are far from over and here we go. Uh, Twitch, Amazon's Twitch, uh, throughout last week. And like this story that I'm particularly pulling from is from January 29th, 2022. Uh, they were Twitch started to restrict which web browsers you were allowed to log into your Twitch account from. And it was limited to Chrome edge and Firefox. Even Safari got fucked out of that, which I don't know what that says. You know, like that, that's Apple users. Like, uh, you're screwing them over. I thought they were the ones with all the money, right? All the Apple users, they're all rich fucks and whatever. Why would you cut them out? Um, th this is, so this speaks to multiple problems. Okay. Now Chrome and edge, like why is edge on that list? Well, they know that, I mean, so here, here's what Amazon did. Okay. They, there was a security problem that a new version essentially of the blink engine was fixing, uh, as I understand it. And so 
the fix that they needed to put in, like they could only code it quickly enough for browsers that were updated quickly enough, but also they were clearly going for browsers that, and working with the browsers that have the largest market share. So it being Chrome, Edge, and Firefox, not a surprise at all, right? Because so many Windows users default to Microsoft Edge. Chrome is by, you know, far and away the large, the most used web browser out there. Firefox, of course, is a very unique animal, but those that use it are generally pretty passionate folk. Um, and so, you know, you want to take care of that. Otherwise you're cutting off a, I mean, and actually the shitstorm that would have happened if Firefox got left out of this fix. I mean, then they're real, like Mozilla would have, would have probably could have gone to the Senate if that happened and would have started breaking up companies like Google. <laughs> Because they would have been like, see, this is what happens. But I mean, the funny thing is like, so, okay, great. Amazon jumped on top of making sure Twitch still worked on Firefox, but this doesn't change the abstract point. Okay. So a lot of people are okay with the fact that, well, most browsers, even ones that aren't Google Chrome are effectively using Chrome's code, right? They're using the blink engine or, you know, they're using a Chromium base. They're Chromium based. Um, this is what happens <laughs> when, when you do that, because like opera doesn't update right away with all of, you know, the latest security, uh, hot fixes that Google puts into the, into Chromium. And I say Chromium because that's what the, you know, Chrome's not available to opera or brave or whoever Chromium is available to them. You know, they, they don't get all those instantaneously. Uh, in fact, Chrome could fix something without it even getting into effectively getting into Chromium. Like I said, 5% of that code is still elsewhere. Um, so edge now again, why edge? Because so many windows users use edge and really they do, even though most people again, still really use Chrome. Um, so this is the problem when you have so many, I mean, and Mozilla has made this argument even recently, though, really they've been making it for years that when more and more browsers all end up using Chromium as their base, one problem affects all of the browsers. You know, if you don't have web browsers that operate on a separate engine, then, you know, when, again, when a, when a problem comes up, like whatever was happening with Twitch, uh, everybody's fucked. And not only that, you have one company who's in charge of the hot fixes. And that's this, what happened with Twitch not, you know, not being able to log into Twitch was a clear example of Mozilla's points of why this is a bad thing to have a monoculture of web browsers. And let's kind of be clear on that. It is more, it is effectively a monoculture, even though yes, brave can choose to not implement certain features that Google puts downstream, uh, or upstream, you know, opera could choose to do that and all that, but Ultimately, they are, these companies are absolutely relying on Google's largesse and what Google allows, you know, to, to, to be, you know, a part of uh, the Chromium base. Like Brave wouldn't exist. If they had to develop their own fucking engine, Brave would have never happened. It would have never existed. And I like Brave. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. Okay. I recommend Brave. I still think it's probably the best browser out there overall, overall. Everybody's got different tolerances and tastes, but like overall and like one and done install, it's about the best thing going out there. Okay. I like opera. I've liked opera for decades, but this is a real problem. 
You know, like Vivaldi. V- what was v- Vivaldi's mission? Vivaldi's like, oh, well, yeah, we want to, you know, go back to opera when it had the Presto engine, which I was a huge fan of. Um, we want to go back to that. But what did they do? They just made it look like opera before the switch to the Blink engine. But they're still used, they're still chromium based. They're not using the Presto engine at all. Fuck that. So you essentially have Safari and Firefox, you know, and then all the Firefox derivatives, right? Like Pale Moon and whatever else. And I think some of those are actually pretty good. Um, but that's that's basically what you've got as a bulwark against these kinds of problems, even though Amazon did make sure, you know, that Firefox, uh, that that was resolved. Um, again, if they didn't, yeah, I, I, Mozilla's lobbyists would have had a fucking field day, you know, saying this is what happens when Google controls the code. So do you want to switch to Firefox? I'm not, if you're not already there, I'm not going to say that that's a bad idea. You know, are, are, should you switch away from Brave because of this? No. I mean, ultimately, don't fucking use Twitch. But, you know, that's the real answer. But, but, you know, be aware of this and that this is this is a genuine concern. Um, you know, the real answer would be if Chrome were completely open sourced. You know, and because and if it wasn't something that was so tied in with Google. Uh, I mean, it's already happening, but like the antitrust case and look, I'm not arguing for government intervention at all. I'm just saying it's inevitable. Like these kinds of problems are creating the inevitability where Google's going to get broken up at some point. It's already happening. It's starting to happen in Europe. It's already happening in the United States. I mean, the pencils are so fucking sharpened. The case is already being made. We've covered them. And it's just like the sleeping giant of a story that's happening. That's going to crack sooner or later. So does that mean something bad's going to happen to Brave? No, not necessarily. Like I said, they have their independent security teams that get to, you know, kind of react to the code that's being done. Um, and they get to take some action on like proactive code that they're writing for, for Brave. So I'm not saying you have to get away from that. I'm just saying, I'm just proving the point that you never, ever, ever want a monoculture. That's true in computer science, as true as it is in the universe. When it comes to life on earth. A point I've made a billion times, biodiversity is the only inherent good. You could cut out the bio part of that. Diversity is the only inherent good. Because without it, one problem wipes out the entire cornfield. And everybody starves because the farmer just couldn't diversify shit up because of perverse incentives. Great analogy. Anyway, we'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Science, outer space, psychology, book and movie recommendations, fiction from the sovereign universe, travels to points of mystery and the unexplained, and even spirituality? All of that can only mean one thing. The Sovereign Technica Newsletter. By me, Ellen Sovereign. Along with some stuff by that crazy man I call my husband, Dr. Brian Sovereign. It's the latest tool in your self-directed education. The education that really matters. 
If you want to cut through the crap of mainstream media ass clowns, sign up for the Sovereign Technica newsletter right now at sovereign.substack.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N The Sovereign Technica newsletter. Welcome to the future. Listener's Choice. It is time for Listener's Choice, where the stories that get sent in to me through the various channels, uh, I cover them for you. You want me to cover them, I cover them. And actually, I'll admit, this one came from a voice you had just heard, that being Mrs. Ellen Sovereign. And uh, my when she sent this to me, like the first thing I saw in the byline was... Sumatra PDF reader. Like I saw hacked and I saw Sumatra PDF reader and I instantly freaked the fuck out. No, no, I didn't freak the fuck out, but I was like, wait a minute. What the hell is this? (laughs) Because Sumatra PDF reader, for those that don't know, now this is, this is a very popular PDF app. Um, it became really popular. It's developed by like one guy. Um, it's a, it's a great piece of kit for windows. It became popular when Adobe, just got more and more bloated. Like, I mean, you could, they're, they're just drowning themselves in cheese and like the gas is just dying to come out. Like they, they are so fucking bloated or well, anyway, Acrobat reader, <laughs> just the reader at the time. And we're talking, this is, you know, 2010 pre 2010, uh, was getting ridiculously bloated resource hog. I mean, just insane what they were doing with that. And not only that, like the way they were trying to get you to make an account and they wanted these features and, and, you know, extensions installed, it was fucking insane. So what happens is another company called Foxit, they create the Foxit reader, which is lightning fast and just does the P the stuff with the PDF that you want it to do. Not a bunch of crazy features like, like, uh, you know, Adobe Acrobat had, and it was just lean and mean. Now, years ago, just a few years ago, Foxit, uh, of course, they showed their true colors and they basically caved in and realized that to make money as a software company, they needed to pull all the ugly shit um, that Adobe was doing. And so they were no longer a, you know, and they were selling metadata to who knows, or data and metadata to whatever company out there, whatever advertising company out there. Um, So you couldn't really recommend them. Now, underneath all this, was little Sumatra PDF reader that, you know, still actually gets actively developed, um, but does what it needs to do. It lets you fucking read PDFs and actually does EPUBs. It also does uh, CBZ and CBR files for comic books. I mean, it, it like they've added a lot more has been added in, but it's, it's a great little piece of software, you know, and it's something that's been trusted for many, many years, I've trusted it for it's still my main one that I'll use on Windows 7 machine. Um, it's really, really lightweight. And again, it just does what you want it to do. Um, so when I saw that, I'm like, wait, how could that be hacked? Like it's one guy that works on it. And this guy's fucking hardcore as far as developers go. Like, I can't believe it that somehow his, his shit got fucked up. Like this guy jumps on stuff so fast. It, it blew my mind. But that's not exactly what's going on here. But that, when I first read it, I was like, whoa, whoa, what, what, you know, what's happening? Anyway, here's a story from Ars Technica from, uh, this is from September 29th by uh, Dan Gooden. 
numerous orgs hacked after installing weaponized open source apps. Putty, Kitty, Type VNC, Sumatra PDF Reader, and Mu PDF slash Subliminal Recording all targeted. Let's read a little bit about it. Hackers, backed by the North Korean government, are weaponizing well-known pieces of open source software in an ongoing campaign that has already succeeded in compromising, quote, numerous, end quote, organizations in the media, defense and aerospace and IT services industries, Microsoft said on Thursday. Now, why is Microsoft saying this? Because, like I just said earlier, Sumatra PDF is Windows software. Most of this is almost exclusively Windows. And so what's the solution here? Well, <laughs> don't use Windows. Yeah, that, that's one of them. <laughs> but anyway, but let's, we, we don't need to be that simple. We really need to talk about this. And there's an abstract point to get into. So uh, reading on Zinc, Z-I-N-C, Zinc, Microsoft's name for a threat actor group also called Lazarus, which is best known for conducting the devastating 2014 compromise of Sony Pictures Entertainment. Uh, that was really only devastating for Sony. It was great for all of us. We got free movies. But anyway, whatever. You know, and now, oh, they're attached to the North Koreans. Oh, fuck. Stop. Moving on. Uh, has been lacing putty and other legitimate open source applications with highly encrypted code that ultimately installs espionage malware. Uh, the hackers then pose as job recruiters and connect with individuals of targeted organizations over LinkedIn after developing a level of trust over a series of conversations and eventually moving them to the WhatsApp messenger. The hackers instruct the individuals to install the apps, which infect the employees work environments. Quote, the actors have successfully compromised numerous organizations since June 2022, end quote. Members of the Microsoft Security Threat Intelligence and LinkedIn Threat Prevention and Defense teams wrote in a post. Boy, that sounds very ominous. Anyway, quote, due to the wide use of the platforms and software that Zinc utilizes in this campaign, Zinc could pose a significant threat to individuals and organizations across multiple sectors and regions, end quote. Putty is a popular terminal emulator, serial console, and network file transfer application that supports network protocols, including uh, SSH, SCP, Telnet, R-Login, and raw socket connection. I mean, Stallion breaking in. Like, yeah, if, if you're connecting, you know, to Telnet, SSH, you know, on a Windows machine, I mean, you're using Putty. I use it often. Anyway, uh, two weeks ago, reading on, two weeks ago, security from Mandiant warned that hackers with ties to North Korea had Trojanized it in a campaign that successfully compromised the customer's network. Thursday's post said the same hackers have also weaponized Kitty, Type VNC, Sumatra PDF Reader, and Moo PDF uh, software with code that installs the same espionage, espionage malware, which Microsoft has named Zeta Nile. Interesting name. Um, anyway, do we need to talk about the hacking group Lazarus? Are they out screwing everybody or whatever? No, we don't need to talk about them. Is it the North Koreans? No, we don't need to talk about them really either. Uh, let's get at the root of the problem here. So as is often the case, and one of the single biggest problems with, you know, like, let's pretend, okay, just for a second, let's pretend because your dreams will shatter in any longer period of time. Let's pretend that there is somehow an operating system with perfect security or a network with absolutely 100% perfect security software side. Okay. Seconds up. I know that's unbelievable, but seconds up. Even if you had that, that doesn't matter. 
Like could, could the, could a network with perfect software security still get hacked? Quote unquote hacked. We, I like to say cracked as we've talked about many, you know, over the years, hacking is a, is a heroic act. In fact, I would argue that Lazarus against Sony was pretty damn heroic, but anyway, um, so, you know, is that network still going to get cracked? Yes. Why? Social engineering. That's ultimately where this starts. Okay. So what happened is you have a group. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I want to call them malicious actors. We'll just call them actors. You have a group of actors, not a troop of actors, a group. <laughs> It'd be amazing to have a troop of actors. I am Sumatra PDF. Lend me your sword. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that would work out. But anyway, so a group of actors, uh, they wrote versions of each of these apps power, you know, or apps that, that could arguably have some real low level access on an operating system or in a network. They wrote these apps and figured out, you know, so they did that. Then they're like, okay, how do we get people to install these versions of these apps? And that's the key thing. It is these versions of these apps. It is not that you go to whatever website for the developer and you know, you, you fit, you download the official version of putty and that that's infected. No, 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 no. This is, you are downloading from a very specific store from a very specific server. Okay. So what's happening is social engineering where they're getting you, you know, they're talking with you, getting you interested in potential job opportunity, may, you know, offering money I don't maybe they're offering sex workers. I don't know how they're getting you onto WhatsApp. I cannot imagine why the conversation needs to leave LinkedIn and it shouldn't like, unless they're actually going to call you on the phone and, you know, talk about other things. But again, I don't know why that's going to WhatsApp. Okay. So they get you on LinkedIn. All right. Then they get you over to WhatsApp. And then that's where like, you know, that's where it's like, okay, we need you to do this, 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 this. And it ends up in you installing these uh, malicious versions of these open source apps. And, you know, I, I mean, the, the problems here are legion. Again, it all starts with social engineering and ultimately kind of ends with that as well. But I don't know if there's the, again, this, this misconception that just because something's open source, oh, it must be fine. Oh, I'm downloading putty. Like maybe somebody actually does say, yeah, they're asking me to install this app. They're asking me to install Sumatra PDF so that I can read their contract or whatever. And then their buddy says, oh, that's open source. Yeah, go ahead and install it. You know, I don't know if that's going on, but like just because something is open source or in this case believed to be open source is that that's not enough. That's not enough reason. Like that, that's, that doesn't make something inherently secure. It just gives it the option to be more secure than anything else. It just gives it the option. Okay. So something being open source is not enough that that should not be new news that that's, that's not even advanced thinking, you know, on sovereign tech by any means, but I just want to reiterate that here. Um, there, again, the real issue is social engineering. Another issue, however, is particularly with windows, uh, uh, devices. Okay. And admittedly, Microsoft has kind of tried to resolve this, but they completely failed because they did not engage in any curation when they created the UWP store, right? When they created the Microsoft store where you could download apps from that. Um, and that's not even getting to like 
do, do you want to you want to know the the real reason? Here here's the problem. So if you had a more curated app store available on Windows, like I like that you can download apps directly from a developer's website. That's a great thing. It's a truly great thing. That's not what happened here at all. All right. If that happened, this wouldn't have been a problem. Uh, that's a great thing. But, you know, most people aren't going to go that distance. Um, and the best thing, the next best thing to that is to have a curated app store run by dedicated developers or, you know, that, that like develop the app store. Right. Um, and it, you don't even want it to get to the scale of like the Google Play Store or, you know, the iOS app store or anything like that, or even UWP, because what happens? You just get loaded with crapware, right? Which is ex exactly what happened with, with the Microsoft Store and is still true for the Microsoft Store. So, I mean, getting an app store, Microsoft recognized this as a good security feature, but again, they failed in the implementation of it. In fact, the real reason that Microsoft wanted to create an app store is ultimately just to get people used to this idea that this is the only way you get apps. And then Microsoft controls what apps can get installed on windows devices, right? Like what was the purpose behind windows 10 S that lockdown version of windows that only allowed to install UWP apps. The purpose of that was to keep people from installing Chrome. That's it. There's a whole fucking point of that. They practically admitted that. It's why they don't need, I mean, Windows 11 S I think might be a thing, but they're, they're dumping that. It's just to keep people from installing Chrome. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> like, like, I mean, they didn't even do the right thing, but they're trying to do the right thing for all the wrong reasons. So anyway, um, this is a problem that Windows has. I've recognized that this has been a problem for a very long time. Um, and one of my recommendations is something I've even talked about in recent episodes of Sovereign Tech. And I think that it's something that really resolves this. First off, like, do not, if an employer, a potential, especially a potential employer, okay, if you're working for the company, they should be giving you laptops anyway. Okay, you should not, I mean, this gets into a whole other abstract concept in that you should not be using personal devices for personal shit. We're, we're literally killing ourselves because we never leave work because work is following us on every device we have. And I mean, like you have work apps on your smartphone, you have work software or browser or whatever, or even a VPN on your laptop, on your personal laptop, you know, and, and this is, this is something, and I know, I, believe me, I'm in the middle of it right now. I know how it is. Uh, this is something that that's just, that's going to, we're going to lose our minds. We thought we needed therapy before we're going to fucking lose our minds from this sooner or later anyway. So, you know, if somebody's really like serious, uh, you know, about you getting hired and everything, um, no, the conversation does not go from LinkedIn to WhatsApp. That should not happen. That should all be happening on LinkedIn. If it should go anywhere, it should go to email and with email, you know, granted that could create whole other phishing issues, but there's just, th that's not the way that this should have worked. Besides that, when they tell you, oh, you need to install this software. No, you need to hire me and then I'll consider installing the software you're asking me to install. Uh, you can't fall for the social engineering on this. And that's, this is almost purely that. However, it does speak to a larger abstract problem. 
that like, where do you go to get windows software? The UW, you know, the Microsoft store is a fucking mess. I mean, it's a UI nightmare. Um, most people aren't going to want to go to varying websites. Not only that, uh, a lot of people don't really check, you know, what URL they're actually putting in and they could be going to, you know, or like it could be a trick where it's like PayPal, but it's actually, uh, paypal1.com and it looks like PayPal. It's close enough, but it's a one, not an L and you're fucked. So my recommendation for this sort of thing on a windows machine, everybody on a windows machine should be using this is portableapps.com. I don't, this isn't an ad for them. They've never been a, a sponsor. They're not an advertiser. I'd be fine if they were, but I mean, I have been using this for over 10 years. I fucking love this. And it is two things. One, it goes through a, a pretty serious vetting process. Okay. It, and it resolves multiple problems. Um, and actually uh, most of the apps on there are open source, not all, but most of them are open source. The ones that are not, uh, are usually from the big companies. Like you can get a portable version of Google Chrome or, you know, opera, things like that. Okay. But this gives you one, uh, it gives you a curated list of apps that, you know, so, so you're not like inundated with, well, is this actually any good? No. If somebody took the time to turn it into a portable app for portableapps.com, it's going to do its job. It's pretty damn good. Um, it will work within that platform, regardless of what's going on with the rest of windows. That's a very good thing. So it kind of creates that app store for you. And unlike what windows can do still cannot do for whatever reasons, it's a hard computer problem, I guess, as, as Microsoft would say, uh, it auto updates the software for you, or it gives you the option and it gives you the notification that, Hey, you want to update all the software and it does it all for you. Lickety split. It's awesome. Love portableapps.com. It also gives you a decent start menu instead of what Microsoft is pushing on everybody with windows 11, Uh huge fan of this. Like it should be considered your window. I mean, it doesn't have everything. Okay. Like it doesn't, sure. It doesn't have stuff from Adobe. It doesn't have, you know, there's, there's things it doesn't have, but those generally, you know, what you're, you know, most people that need those things know what they're going through, right? With like creative cloud and whatever, and you're going to have to log in and everything. And not to say that it can't be malware, but the process through which you have to use it generally prevents that from being something of, you know, that, that could be malicious, um, or at least malware. <laughs> I'd still argue that Adobe software is malicious, but regardless, um, this is, this is really the solution. And if somebody wants you to install something, and again, the employer should be giving you a laptop. Okay. But if somebody wants you to install something outside of it, you say, no, it should work on this just fine. And Sumatra PDF is there. Putty's there. Like there's all, I mean, it's fantastic. Just go to portableapps.com and check it out. That's my recommendation to keep this, you know, aside from the social, from getting your shields up around social engineering, that's the solution here of what to do if you're on a windows machine. So, and, and again, there's a bunch of other advantages to portableapps.com. Like I say, you can just transfer all your software and you don't have to, like, it'll say that it's meant to run on a USB drive or on a micro SD card or something like that. No, you can run it right on your hard drive, right on your computer's main hard drive. That's what I do because it's the fastest that way. Um, you could run it on, you know, like a, a flash drive or something and, but it's going to be a little slower. Uh, it might prematurely kill that flash drive over time because you're going to be running web browsers off of it most likely. Um, 
but that that's really what I recommend uh, to, you know, to, to try and resolve this kind of thing from happening and get that out of your head that just because something is open source somehow that it's instantly secure, that that's just not true. So anyway, um, we'll come back with more and well, no, I don't, I was going to say maybe we'll calm down, but I don't think we're going to calm down. I think it's just going to get worse. I'll be back with more sovereign tech. Hey baby. I know, I know you are tired of Gmail. You have had enough. Well, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is you go to Fastmail, okay? It's fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL you can use. You're going to get a discount with that. You are going to love this. This is email for email's sake. This company does nothing more. Just email and they do it right. All the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that. Fastmail has your hookup. Very inexpensive plans. I want you to check it out. You go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That'll get you the hookup and it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. Shall we play a game? You know, usually when we're talking about video games in the gaming section here, usually that that's when I get to start relaxing. But this is not such a case. <laughs> So, got another piece from Ars Technica. We don't really have to read it. It's by Ron Amadio. Also from September 29th. Um, But we really don't have to read it. Here we go. Here's the headline anyway. Google kills Stadia. Nice part is the headline updated to will refund game purchases. Okay, that's nice. Uh, So what happened here? Actually, you know what? We are going to read it. I'm going to get through this. Quote, The moment everyone saw coming is finally happening. Google officially confirmed that it's killing Stadia, the company's troubled game streaming service. Phil Harrison announced today in a blog post that Stadia, quote, hasn't gained the traction with users that we expected, so we've made the difficult decision to begin winding down our Stadia streaming service, end quote. Stadia will be laid to rest on January 18th, 2023. Um, Stallion breaking in on that. So (laughs) what does he mean? What does he mean by the moment everyone saw coming is finally happening? Uh, well, a few, uh, two different things. One, Google just other than Gmail search and maybe their smartphone line, Google just can't keep anything alive. You know, there's this concept of the Google graveyard. Uh, they kill fucking everything, but also Stadia has, there have been signs throughout 2022, um, based upon support deals they're making with AT&T and some other stuff that clearly showed uh, Google's not that interested in Stadia. I mean, actually, it was kind of weird because, like, the day, I think, before they announced this, they completely refreshed the UI on Google Stadia, even though it's going to get tanked at, you know, close to the end of January next year. Um, they even announced some, uh, like, some some new games coming out. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was just weird. Um, I had read that... Uh, members, you know, employees of Google that are on the Stadia team, they didn't know uh, until like maybe a few minutes before the announcement was went went public. I mean, they basically almost found out like on Twitter, not even from their own boss. Fucking strange. Um, I don't like this line. And I'm not surprised by it from Phil Harrison, quote, hasn't gained the traction with users that we expected. So we've made the difficult decision to begin winding down our Stadia streaming service. This is such, this is such 
a capitalistic problem of today. And, and I, I keep ripping on Google about this, you know, but most, most companies are this way where like, holy shit, if it doesn't get 10 billion users, but again, there's only 7 billion people on the planet. If it doesn't get 10 billion users, turn it off. It's not profitable. Like that, that, that just seems to be the numbers that these people run with. I don't know the exact stats on how many Stadia users there are. Maybe it really wasn't that many, and that's why Google never really touted the number. Um, it's not like the technology... I mean, I don't agree with game streaming services. Like, I think cloud gaming is bullshit. Uh, but as I've said even recently, like, I know it has its audience. It has its place with certain people. Um, I, I'm, I'm just... I'm. I'm not surprised that this happened. It was just a matter of time, but then at the same time, like this is one of those hills I figured Google would, would try to die on and they didn't, but it just goes to show like same deal that cause it doesn't matter how much money they, how much revenue they bring in from, you know, from search and they bring in a lot, <laughs> you know, if something doesn't have a billion users, 2 billion users, Fuck it. It's not worth it. Doesn't matter how good it was. I'm not even saying Stadia was that good. I'm just saying this happens over and over again with this company. Can you really rely on Google products? No. <laughs> I mean, even something that like they didn't even have to make the cartridges. Like what would Google have done in the eighties? Imagine if like they had to try and survive like Nintendo and Sega did when they had to actually like put games and produce like specific hardware cartridges that only worked on their hardware. Holy shit. I mean, the other big part of this that I, I think it proves like this, the streaming of games, like, yes, there's an audience for that, but I think this is overheating like 80% of Silicon Valley. Like, I don't know what Microsoft's going through with, you know, with game pass. Um, because, like the server loads got to be insane for them to not find this profitable. Even if it was only, I mean, they had to have had really like they didn't have a million users really <laughs> or paying use. I, I mean, maybe they didn't, who knows? I've seen claims that they had well over a million. I, who knows? Anyway, uh, I guess to some degree, well, I mean, so, you know, okay, what do we do about the stallion? Well, it's simple. Like just do not buy into Google services. Just, just fucking don't. Um, I'm even weirded out by what's going on with Google Fi. Like they're effectively giving new, uh, like if you want to add somebody to your, to your family, like they're giving new lines out essentially for free. They're giving, I don't know. It's just something odd about that. But, but anyway, like Google Fi is one of those, one of those things they've really held on to. I think they know they need to because of whatever Apple's designs are as far as creating their own little internet service or, or, you know, uh, uh, telco, but, um, yeah, no, like don't, don't count on any, I wouldn't even use Gmail, not, not, you know, for, for anything important. Cause who knows? So the fortunate thing, you know, is that whatever money you spent, I mean, so what the started stadia launched in 2019. So you got what? Three, four years. Um, they are going to refund you for games 
Like, basically, Google is kind of keeping themselves from getting a black eye on this. And game developers are stepping up as well. Where like Ubisoft is saying, okay, if you bought the game on Stadia, like if you bought an Assassin's Creed game on Stadia, we'll give you a Steam key or whatever, you know. So, okay, good. Um, this doesn't always work out this way, but this is so high profile. I think Google effectively knew um, we got to get people their money back. Otherwise, you know, we're going to have riots in our hands or something. Um, because this is always the danger when you don't actually own a physical copy of the game. You could lose it at any point. That's exactly what's happening here. It just proves the point. This is one of the major issues I still have with cloud gaming. I mean, even on Game Pass, unless you buy the games on Game Pass and pay for Game Pass as well, um, it's like Netflix where, yeah, this game's leaving at the end of the month. Like, that's bullshit, man. No, if I'm laying out money, you know, like, I better have the access to that game for all time. So fuck Google. Like you just, you can't count on this company. You, you you can't. And even something like this, like gaming, this should have been surefire, especially for them. They fucked it up. Don't rely on a single damn service from that company. I mean, they're just, you know, we can talk about the issues with Apple. We can talk about the issues with Microsoft. We can talk about the issues with Amazon. We can talk about the issues, you know, with all kinds of tech giants. But in some ways, Google's the fucking worst because, like, they, they, won't, they won't keep supporting shit that they launch. I mean, in one sense, okay, I'm glad that they kill stuff, but the problem is they get everybody hot and bothered about whatever the next thing is, and then they just rip it away from you. And I would almost argue that's worse. I mean, I, I could rip on Microsoft all day long, but like, fuck, they still support Windows 7. They still, if needed, they'd still put out a patch for Windows XP. Like they'll still fucking support stuff that's been around. Or they'll support hardware, drivers, um, you know, software that's been around for decades. They'll still support it. Google, fuck you. We don't care how much you spent. Nah, this is nasty business, nasty business. There's, and I mean, look, as far as gaming goes, there's a real part of me that like, I, I mean, I have a massive Nintendo switch library. I have a massive 3ds library. If I didn't have those libraries, like I, I would just be going back and I'd say, okay, I am only playing consoles that I can put the physical game in or that I can put the ROMs on. And that, and that, that's the end of it. Like it'd be PS3 down, you know, I no, no. In fact, not fuck even the PS3. Like it's going to be games, no patches, no hot fixes. Like the game that gets shipped is what shipped and any bugs in it. Those are Easter eggs that become legendary in 20 years as they should. That that's the way I'd be about it. I'd be like, yeah, no, fuck I still got a huge part of the N64 library to play, or I haven't played every Saturn game yet, or I sure as fuck haven't played every PS2 game yet, or even every good one. I know I haven't played every good PS2 games. I can think of a ton off the top of my head that I've never touched. Um, and they're, they play just as good today as they did in yesteryear. This is just getting bad. Anyway, Google really, really fucked up here. So add that to another one where the tech giants don't give a shit about you <laughs> or at least 
it's so apparent what they want from you. And it sure as hell isn't a good time. We'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Maybe we can kind of calm things down. I'll be back with you. Journey into the far reaches of aqua space. Attention, security brief. Brace for impact. Seal out the doors, break for collision. Launch countermeasures. From Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment Inc. and Universal Television comes a journey into the future and beneath the sea. Roy Scheider stars in Sequest DSV. You can watch Sequest by downloading it from your favorite torrent site or getting it on glorious DVD. For beneath the surface lies the future. Come on! Album of the Week. It is time for Album of the Week, and I'm actually going to do something a little bit different for Album of the Week. Um, I found out about something that I love. Now, I was just complaining about game streaming. Streaming music, totally different situation. Like, streaming music, really, in one form or another, has been done as long as there has been technology and music to be played upon that technology. What I mean by that is, or almost as long, anyway, minus the, you know, gramophone, but, (laughs) um, the radio, you know, radio is in a form streaming music, right? Um, anyway, you know me, I have my massive Plex library of millions and millions of songs, uh, that I regularly stream from to varying devices off of my NAS. Uh, but something I've always enjoyed, and I've actually been tempted to do this myself at times is to run internet radio stations. I love these, you know, like ice cast and all that all great shit, you know, been around forever. And one of the truly great things that the internet does. Um, and I found a, I got a website for you to go to, but I found a station, a quote unquote internet radio station that man, they hit my jam baby. And it's modern retro FM.com. So modernretrofm.com, uh, modern retro radio is what it's called and what it is. It's running pretty all the time and you can go right to the website, hit play and away you go. And what, what they do here, this is curated where it's classic acts, you know, classic rock acts, pop acts, whatever, but it's playing their new music. Now you've heard me say this. A billion times, especially if you're a patron, right? But anytime we've done album of the week, I am always bringing up how, you know, yeah, you know, bands from 30, 40, even 50 years ago or more are still putting out albums and they're great. Like listen to new sticks, listen to new hell, listen to new cheap trick or new Chicago, or, you know, we want to get into metal acts like Judas Priest is doing some of the best stuff they've ever done. Firepower. Holy shit. So, and you want to, you want to jam this stuff. I mean, he, this has got it all going on. Duran Duran, Lenny Kravitz, Stevie Nicks. I mean, you know, new stuff from these acts getting played on it. I love it. This is the kind of, and I mean, Mrs. Sovereign can tell you, like, I, <laughs> this is the kind of jam that I listen to. I am constantly listening and I always feel like I'm the only one listening to new albums from bands that have been around for decades. 
you know, and I get excited like that every Thursday I'm downloading, you know, uh, new albums from these great bands. I mean, I still listen to some new bands too, for sure. But, oh, this is, man, I, I could just leave this modern retro radio running all day long. Um, run by a great guy too. Like you, you definitely, you want to check this out. So modern retro FM.com. If, if you've dug anything that I've talked about music wise on sovereign tech, believe me, you're in for a treat here. Anyway, I will be, it's rare. I, I don't always get to recommend like an actual internet radio station instead of just an album, but I love it. And you're going to find so much great music on this. Check it out. Anyway, I'll be right back with some more sovereign tech. We'll get into the ancient whoo, and the strange from big finish productions, Blake seven, the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. Our hostage arrives, which you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com. The Ancient and the Strange So, as I've been doing lately uh, in this segment I have been doing audio recordings of my spirituality segment from the Sovereign Technica newsletter which of course Sovereign.substack.com if you want to sign up for that free version and a paid version and I'm going to continue that tradition for just a little longer. Like I said, there are long form pieces that I don't think fit into the conversation of the ancient and the strange that I want to have here, but covering the conversation of the mystical, the occult, the esoteric, the spiritual is essential when we break into the stories that we are going to cover, uh, stories and subjects really in the ancient and the strange. So I want to get this down and then I can point people to episode, you know, 490, 491, 492, 493, as far as, you know, listen to these. And there's the breakdown of, okay, when we're talking about spirituality on Sovereign Tech, this is what we mean. So this is key. Um, I want to get into this. This is about the cornerstone. It's titled the cornerstone of all spirituality. And it's an important conversation to get into around axioms. And you may be wondering what the fuck is it about axioms? Um, and I might explain a little bit more after the audio read, um, of this section. So let's get into it. And then maybe we'll talk about a little bit more after, and then we got the climax to get into, which, uh, boy, I got a whole other subject to get into there. So here we go from, this would be issue number four, I believe of 
the Sovereign Technica newsletter, the cornerstone of all spirituality. The cornerstone of all spirituality. In the past editions of the spirituality segment of the Sovereign Technica newsletter, we've thus far discussed what I mean by spirituality and how it contrasts with what is conventionally known as religion, the importance of documenting your spirituality and making it and yourself portable and thus censorship and catastrophe resistant, and why spirituality can be useful to you to survive, outlast, and outmaneuver the authoritarian rich civilization we exist within, regardless of whether you're a mystic, atheist, or some other type of believing practitioner. If you haven't read the spirituality segment in the past three issues, I highly recommend you do for context. But now I want to discuss the foundation of spirituality, whether it be your own spirituality, a spirituality you've adopted, or really any form of spirituality you may encounter. That foundation, and this is true 99% of the time, I take 1% off for the Discordians, is axiomatic, meaning the foundation is some kind of axiom or axioms. That one thing that you consider to be completely true and self-evident that exists without question and is the basis of your spiritual belief. This can be a book or it could be an experience that you had. You saw God or a mystical polar bear. Believe me, I've heard that story and it changed your perceptions of the universe. It could even be you as in you are your own God and your own axiom. Frankly, it could be a mixture of all of these things, but without some kind of axiomatic foundation, you have no cornerstone to build your mental temple upon that allows you to simultaneously encapsulate and expand your spiritual self. You need something you know to be true that you can test any future knowledge or experience upon because knowledge, spiritual or otherwise, is merely justified true belief. With spirituality being such a personal experience, you can't always rely on the correspondence theory of truth, so your axioms take the place of correspondence with others. Need an example? All right, I'll be vulnerable and open with you. My axiom is a book. Well, more accurately, a collection of books that gets called a book. And no, despite what I'm sure you figured already are my Jewish proclivities, it's not the Tanakh. My axiom is the Book of Radiance, more popularly known as the Zohar. While I won't get into a treatise on the Zohar here, I assure you I will in the future, but it will be a multi-issue series, I share this with you to let you know where I'm coming from, what I use as the crucible and test of my knowledge and experiences that I encounter, and what I build my mental temple upon. Now, before you start saying that the Zohar is this or that, let me assure you, anything you go and read on Wikipedia or on some Christian website does not express the reality of information or nature of the existence of this true book of books. As someone who has read everything from the Arantia book, fascinating stuff by the way, to the Tao Te Ching, excrement. I have never read anything like the Zohar that is essentially an entire universe within itself, though some sci-fi, such as by Olaf Stapledon, certainly gives its best effort. And it covers much more than spirituality. Ahead of its time, scientific knowledge, health, history, sex, advanced technology, and more. Again, I'll tell you more about it in the future, but suffice it for now to tell you that it's the book I hang my spiritual hat on. Note, though I consider the Zohar to be axiomatic, I'm not inferring that what you consider axiomatic is somehow wrong if it happens to be something else. I'm not even saying the Discordians are wrong for essentially being anti-axiom, an oversimplification certainly. I don't have to disprove what you consider to be axiomatic. 
The very nature of an axiom is that it is self-evident, which means that a false axiom will disprove itself. Just keep your mind open to your axiom falling apart before your eyes. I always do. End note. You don't have to hang your hat on the Zohar, but the fact remains that in your spiritual exploration and growth, you will need something, again, even if it's just belief in yourself and the feedback your six senses, yes, six at least, give you. Without an axiom, you may think that your beliefs are just more adaptable, but the truth is actually the opposite. Even the most adaptable creature needs a wall at its back, or a firm footing, or just a parachute to successfully engage the greatest threats and challenges presented by the objective universe at any given moment. That's just survival 101. And spiritual growth is thriving 101. Choose your axiom. And there you have it from the Sovereign Technica newsletter. Now, I actually did, it was another episode, it was the last one that I had done with the guys, um, an episode of the Agora podcast, uh, of course, Into the Void um, is our kind of our sub-series, where I actually, I talked about axioms a bit, um, you know, in line with this conversation. And basically, what I think happens is at some point, like, how, how does somebody start to look for an axiom and like start to grow and want to, uh, explore their spirituality more? There just is an event. And I kind of hinted at it here, like say with a mystical polar bear or whatever, but there is some kind of event that happens that just goes beyond any explanation that you can possibly find, or at least, you know, it, it's, it's that strange event that in popular culture, shall we say, like you can't find, and that includes, you know, popular scientific texts and, you know, all of it, but you cannot find an explanation for what you saw. And so you begin to search either inside or in other books that perhaps aren't so popular. And you try to find, you know, somewhere else where there's a description of that strange moment, strange event, whatever it is that occurred. I don't want to call it supernatural because I don't think that there is, the supernatural doesn't exist. There is only the natural. But what I mean is there are things that appear to be what get commonly called supernatural. But again, we just we don't have we don't have the science to explain them yet. But that doesn't mean that that something is supernatural or that it's beyond, uh, you know, provability. And when you find something that helps explain or vindicates the unexplained that you experienced. Uh, I think that can very much become your first axiom or the event itself can become its own axiom. And like I said, you know, there's like, there's no such thing as a false axiom. Again, it's self-evident. It, it just is. And can a book be that an abstract book certainly can, or again, like I said, it could be yourself. You could consider yourself your own axiom. That would, effectively be the axiom of identity. You might think that you are the complete center of the universe as the whole universe well springs from you. Um, that's your belief system. Good luck with that being self-evident, but I know that that's a way of thinking out there. Anyway, this, it's an important thing to get out there. Uh, and it really is. And having that axiom, you know, that, that thing that exists of its own, and is 
you know, like objectively exists outside of you and is the crucible upon which, you know, you can engage, like I said, the, not just the world, but also, shall we say the mystical and the spiritual and, and not just engage, but measure, uh, which is pretty key. That's part of science, right? You have to be able to measure it and science and mysticism are, again, these are not enemies. <laughs> they work hand in hand and they're only a problem when you separate them. But that's another conversation for another uh, ancient and the strange segment. And I'll leave it for that. We'll be right back with the climax. Woo! Incredible television event ever as you join the crew of Battlestar Galactica. Right here, you quippy crawly. I have led the entire human race to ruin. The last of mankind fighting for life in a hostile galaxy. Most of us are dead. Alone, with only one hope, Battlestar Galactica and her crew. There is no other destination. Commander Adama, Captain Apollo, the intrepid Starbuck, and the dazzling Athena, searching for a new and peaceful world. We may as well live for today. We might not have many left. Let the attack begin. New age of high adventure, Battlestar Galactica. Golden Stallion doing whatever he wants to do. The Climax It is time for The Climax, where I get to talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. And I know the past few episodes I've been covering movies quite a bit. Um, I'm not going to cover a specific movie here, but I really do want to talk about movies, TV shows, um, and and. You know, it's funny, this never really seems, well, that's not true. It does happen in, in books sometimes, like people will put their own spin on Sherlock Holmes or whatever else. Um, certainly happens in comic books, that's for damn sure. Uh, so basically it can happen in any entertainment medium. But it's the concept of the remake. And I've really been, lately... I've been trying to just understand what genuinely irks me about like remakes of popular movie series or TV series or whatever. Uh, or even, you know, kind of like we talked about, I don't think it was last week. It were, it was episode, maybe it was episode 491 where we talked about the underworld series and how they're planning on making a TV series. Right. But, the producer of the TV series says, yeah, it won't be anything like the films. And so I was like, well, then why fucking make it? Like, <laughs> who cares? You know, if, it, if it's nothing like the films. Um, but I was trying to think of like, what, like, why does this bother me so much? And because I keep reading news how, oh, this series is going to get a, a remake or a reboot or whatever term they're tossing around now. And it's like, well, why can't you just keep continuing? And of course, the classic one. And actually, I got a question from a patron and I don't know that I'm going to cover it on a Wednesday Q and a, uh, so I, like, I kind of might, I'll pretty much address it here. Um, but I got a question of, they, they were trying to understand like my vehemence for 
Ronald, you know, for Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica for, you know, the sci-fi channels, Battlestar Galactica. Um, yeah, it, I'll get into that here. Cause like, I wanted to give a pretty good answer about it, you know, and there are little things that annoy me. Um, certainly with Battlestar Galactica, there's a lot of things that you could point at just objectively about how it was developed and made and the finished product and everything that are very easy to complain about, you know, like how the writers pretended that they had a plan, but we have it from their own documents. No, they had no fucking plan. They did a million things where they had no idea where they were going with anything. Um, you know, they, I mean, it's not Babylon five. That's for goddamn sure. There, there's a place where a guy had a plan. Holy shit. Straczynski is God. Anyway. Um, you know what it ultimately comes down to for me with remakes? This, this is, I mean, there's, there's never just one reason, but like, this is what, this is what it really comes down to. I think of why they just rub me the wrong way, unless it's being done by the creator, right. Of the original thing. So essentially like with Battlestar Galactica. So if Glenn Larson wanted to make Battlestar Galactica again, okay, that's his, that's his privilege, right? Like that, cause he's the creator of the original idea anyway. So if he wants to like rehash it, in fact, for example, Kenneth Johnson, um, who made like the incredible Hulk, the TV series with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno back in the seventies, uh, but also made V one of my favorite series of all time. Um, Kenneth Johnson, he recently, you know, in, in the past 10 years, he did, he put out the original novel for V re-released it. And then he came out with, uh, the, the second, I think he called it the second coming V the second coming. It was a sequel book, but it was not a sequel book to V the final battle or V the series. Um, and of course V had its own remake in 2009, right? That only went two seasons. Um, but Kenneth Johnson was like, I'm not complaining about Kenneth Johnson's book that doesn't follow the rest of what came out for V in the 1980s because he created it. So if he wants to tell it a different way, fine. Okay. I have no problem with that. Just like, I don't mind if George Lucas wants to add a bunch of shit in to star Wars, he can call that shot. If I want to watch the original version, I will, but like he can do that all he wants. Disney fucking can't fuck them, (laughs) but George Lucas can. So if it's something, if it's being done again by the creator, but you usually don't see that too often, really like how many creators like actually remake their entire movie or something, you know, with new actors, the whole business just doesn't happen often. Anyway, um, I don't complain about that. My problem with remakes is here's what it comes down to. It's, it's, it feels like a very tacit admission or it feels like a statement, a test statement by someone, whether it's producer, the movie studios, a director, an actor, I don't know, whoever's behind it, whoever is the brainchild and the money behind what's getting made. It is a statement by them to me that what I fell in love with, like say the 78 Battlestar Galactica versus 2005 Battlestar Galactica, right? That my Battlestar Galactica from the seventies wasn't good enough. That's what it says to me. It says that, no, we, we're not going to continue that story because either it was, we think your show was shit 
or we think we can do it better. And like, what, what, how can you do better than the fucking creator? (laughs) Like, like that doesn't even, that doesn't even compute. That'd be like, literally, that'd be like me saying, oh yeah, I could do Babylon five better than Straczynski. No, I don't have that. I don't have that kind of hubris. Nor, nor should anyone else. I mean, imagine, I say, you know, at some point, I think it's actually going to happen where Star Wars or where Disney is going to remake the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, I mean, it's going to, it's going to be a day that'll live in infamy, but it's, it's going to happen. But who the fuck are they? Like people are going to be up in arms at that point, And rightfully so, because they're going to be like, who the hell are you to think you can do that better? And what the hell's wrong with my original trilogy anyway? What the hell's wrong with what George Lucas did? Not much. I mean, even though I think a new hope is kind of a shit movie, but it's besides the point. It did the job, did what it needed to do teed up. And that's my real problem with remakes. That's why I just, I, I like, I can't get excited about these things. I can't get excited about these things coming back. Um, I mean, as far as, you know, like actually doing sequels today to classic shows that runs into its own issues where it's filled with a lot of modern sensibilities is not the term I want to use. Cause I don't want, I don't want it to sound like I'm against wokeness or something like that. And it, it's that there are modern agendas, okay, that are not in line with usually with what the show was originally setting up and trying to put out there. Quantum Leap's a great example of this, where Quantum Leap was as progressive a fucking show as you can imagine. I mean, between like that and MacGyver, like those are those are leftist wet dreams, and I love them. How can you you know like and and you're gonna expand on that? No, you know what they're gonna do like. I mean, you saw what happened with MacGyver. Actually, that didn't even get into like a leftist agenda. That got into more of like a conservative government. Yeah, we got to protect the people. Like it turned MacGyver into a CIA asshat. Um, so, you know, it can go either way, but either way, it's not continuing with what came before. But MacGyver is another great example. That's effectively saying what I was into. The MacGyver I grew up with wasn't good enough because we've got to make it again. And you can say, well, no, they're just bringing it to modern audiences. Okay. Look, I don't have a problem with recasting actors. You know, if you want to bring in another actor, are they going to be as great as Richard Dean Anderson? No, but that's the breaks. Um, you know, like, but bring in another actor, continue the series. Well, but nobody wants to follow up with the whole history. You don't have to look, most of the shows from like before, say Babylon five, rarely ever reference their own history, you know, like their own show history. Most shows, albeit episodic as in they were self-contained, like each episode was self-contained, uh, were still kind of anthology series at the end of the day. So there's no reason, you know, that you can't just recast and continue the story, make new characters, whatever. You know, this idea that you have to do a complete remake of something again, it's an insult. It's an insult to the creators, to the fans, because it's again, it's tacitly saying what you had before wasn't good enough. We need to make something new. 
that's old. That sucks. We need to make something new. That's, and I think that's it. That's why it always rubs me the wrong way. I never buy into this argument of nostalgia. Fuck that shit. I, I've, I've brought this up way too many times. Nostalgia, okay, is when you, like, have forgotten something from your childhood or from your past, and then something reminds you of it and allows you to kind of live it again. That's nostalgia. However, I, in general, do not experience nostalgia. Why? Because if you could see in the BDSM Studio 4 right now, I look to my right, there's uh, Lost in Space uh, uh, mini-mates figures. And I mean real Lost in Space with, you know, with, with uh, B9, the whole thing. You know, like the 60s, Lost in Space, right? Carrot people. Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Okay, uh, ironically, that is kind of a remake, but that's another story for another time. Forbidden Planet figures. He-Man, Masters of the Universe, real one. Uh, Duke Nukem. <laughs> I never left this stuff behind. Do you, do you get me? Like, this stuff is still a part of me. I still watch it. I didn't stop watching what I watched when I was 10. I still watch what I, was, what I watched when I was 10. I watch it now at 41. I am not engaging when I am saying I want Star Wars to be X, Y, Z, or I want Star Trek to be X, Y, Z. That's not me appealing to nostalgia. It has always been a part of me. I never stopped digging it. I never stopped watching it. It is still in my life. That is not nostalgia. Most of the people who make genuine complaints over what, you know, whatever this franchise that happens to be getting remade or whatever has to be, most of them are people who probably haven't dropped it. Like they never, they never forgot about it. It's still a part of their life. That's why they know so well what the fuck things should be. That's why they know all this canonicity, you know, uh, drives me wild, but that's, but again, that's really what it comes down to. And, And it was a bit of an epiphany on my part is that remakes are effectively insults. Again, unless it's done by the original creator, it's an insult saying that what I had before just wasn't good enough. And sometimes even when it is the creator, it's a bit of a problem. Like I'm, I'm still as much as Straczynski is God, I'm still pissed off about him wanting to remake and completely remake Babylon five because he's saying, it's like, Oh, imagine what I could do now with Babylon five. Like, what? No, I can't imagine what you do now, Joe. You already did the best. It doesn't get better. You say, Oh, you don't know till you try. No, no, no. I know. <laughs> It, I, I just, it, again, it just doesn't compute. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It can't do anything other than come off as an insult that somehow what you liked before wasn't good enough. And you love it. Now, taste and art can be a subjective thing. That's, that's for damn sure. Um, but then they don't seem to understand that because again, by, you know, by, by its nature, the idea of a remake is that what you had before wasn't enough. You can say, well, it's a different take. It's a different angle. It's different. This and it's no, (laughs) it's not a different take. You're saying that what it was before wasn't exciting enough or wasn't appealing to this. And I mean, that's a whole other problem is you're just trying to like rip something off to try and bring in just like Google with feature phones. You want, you're trying to bring in that next billion and fuck you make something new, take a goddamn risk in your life. Like the rest of us do every day. So it bothers me. I thought about it. You know, I got that question in about new Battlestar Galactica. Why I hate it. Why do I hate it? Because it's saying that what came before sucked. 
And I already had to deal, even before New Battlestar Galactica came out on on Siffy, I already had to deal with plenty of people saying that that, that the original BSG was was crap and, and fuck them. But <laughs> I mean, they're they're welcome to their opinion. That's fine, okay. But the last thing anybody should be able to do is, well, I'm gonna fucking remake it on you, and I'm gonna say that this is the real Battlestar Galactica, and you know you need to buy my merchandise. And when you go on Google, you know when you type in Battlestar Galactica, my Galactica needs to show up, not yours, motherfucker. You know, like, god damn it. You know they they they, they complain. It's fun. It's so funny because like the you know the media talks about fans as like being gatekeepers. No, they're the fucking gatekeepers with their goddamn copyright law. You're the gatekeepers, you motherfuckers. You get to decide what's Star Trek. You get to decide what's Battlestar Galactica. Fuck you. Why? Because what you, you paid $10 million or however much you paid to, to be able to produce the, you know, the, uh, the stuff that looks like it came off a of toilet paper. Like, I, that gives you the right. I don't get it. Brian, they're just movies. They're just TV shows. Sure. Sure. I could buy into that argument, but that's not how they feel about it. That's not how the people producing it feel about it. No, that's their job. That's their livelihood. How dare you interfere with their livelihood by not sitting your ass down, paying the 20 bucks to sit down and watch their movie or pay for their stupid streaming service. It's not just a movie to them. Anyway, get a little more hot and bothered than I wanted to on this subject, but that is the point. What is the problem with remakes? Remakes are effectively a fuck you to anybody that enjoyed what came before. So that is it <laughs> for this episode of Sovereign Tech. Got in a little subject at the end. Uh, it's been a little while since I've done that. And uh, well, we'll wrap this one up. Plenty more Sovereign Tech to come. And I will see all of you whoo, on the other side. Don't ever remake the show. Don't. Never, ever, ever. There is only one Sovereign Tech. And it's going to go for years. If not, forever. Or what equates to forever. All right, that's it. I'll see you on the other side. Woo!